you can find the reading on page 359 in the Church Bibles, if you'd like to follow. Page 359. I'm reading from 1 Kings 18, uh, the first verse, and then from verse 16. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull that was given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced round the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, 
and he dug a trench round it, large enough to hold two sears of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God! The Lord, he is God! Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times, Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rainstorm came on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Thanks very much. There was a... um One winter, right up in the far north of Canada, uh, a guy had just taken delivery of a brand new 4x4 and he thought, it would be fun if I could get a couple of mates together and we could go out uh, to a frozen lake and go ice fishing. That's where you drill a hole down through the ice and you fish down through the hole. Uh, They took their dog with them as well and they went out, drove up, found the lake, parked. Actually, they parked the 4x4 on the lake, but not over the uh, the deepest bit in the middle. And then they walked a little bit further over and they realised they didn't actually have the drill with them with which to drill the hole. But uh, one of the guys said, look, don't worry, I've, uh, I've actually got some dynamite, so let's try that instead. Now, um, so what they did is an tr- old traditional stick of dynamite with a fuse coming out the top. And uh, so what they did was they, they lit the fuse at about a 20-second fuse, and then he chucked it as far as he could possibly go away from them and uh, away from the car, obviously, uh, at which point their dog thought it was time to play fetch. 
So the dog went piling off after, the, uh, after this dynamite. The fuse was going down and, uh, and he grabbed it and he then started bringing it back towards them. And they thought, well, there's nothing for it. One guy belted for the uh, 4x4 and he got out his shotgun in order to try and kill the dog. They thought that's the only thing that we can possibly do. So he fired at the dog and he missed. And then the dog thought, actually, the safest thing to do now is to go and take shelter underneath the 4x4. So as he changed direction, he slipped and started sliding. And as he did that, the dynamite fell out of his mouth. And just seconds before it was due to blow off, uh, it went and stopped right underneath 4x4, where it went off. The dog was fine, the men were fine, and the 4x4 went down through the ice into the uh, frozen lake. Now then, what's that got to do with uh, uh, Elijah and, uh, and the prophets of Baal? We're thinking tonight about um, learning to pray. Uh, and as you know, through this year in 2017, we've had uh, uh, one of our things about learning to be a praying people. And uh, actually the diocese are starting their year of prayer today. So we're, we're ahead of the game, guys. We've, uh, we've been doing it for the past year, but they're just doing it today. But, uh, um, uh, but we're, uh, um, I suppose you could say that as part of our, uh, our learning to pray this year, we're coming to a climax now with our 24-7 but what I want to uh, uh, be explaining is this, is that just as that dog got the, literally, the wrong end of the stick uh, with the dynamite, so actually a lot of people get the wrong end of the stick when it comes to praying. And, uh, and so we're going to have a look at 1 Kings chapter 18. It's on page 859. Now, uh, we're not going to, uh, this is not a sermon which is going to be an exposition of 1 Kings 18. Rather, I want to draw out some things, a number of things here about praying, to help us to pray, to help us to pray on 24-7, to help us to pray just normally. Now, in our kitchen, we have a sugar bowl. Sometimes the top of the sugar bowl is off, and sometimes if we're making someone uh, sort of decaf coffee or something, we use old-fashioned coffee, and sometimes it just kind of goes into the sugar, and then we, and it's not very nice having sugar with bits of coffee in it, so I kind of pluck them out to, uh, uh, so to you. Does anyone, Jean, you look like you've done that. You're smiling anyway. But uh, um, So what we're going to do tonight is kind of pluck the coffee uh, out of uh, 1 Kings 18 uh, in order to uh, put some hot water on it and see where we go. And uh, there are lots of little points to make. There are a number of things. If you've got the back of the sheet here, you see there are a number of things that uh, we're going to, I want to point out. And it may be the best way of approaching tonight for, for us is not to say, well, let's see if I can remember everything that we say, but rather to say, be praying quietly to the Lord and be saying, Lord, please would you engrave upon my heart just a couple of things from tonight which I can put into practice when I pray, when I'm in the prayer room, when I'm at home in a month's time, uh, or whatever it is. It's interesting when you look at Elijah in the New Testament, for instance. So if you were, for instance, to turn to James chapter 5, uh, and it says this on um, verse 17 and 18, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And this is what happened in chapter 18. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So as we see from the New Testament, the thing that we're, the Bible is saying to us, the thing that we need to be remembering about Elijah is, is uh, perhaps not so much the, the miracles and extraordinary things that he did here, but actually the fact that he was a man who prayed. 
and the things that we can learn from this to apply uh, to our lives. So this evening we're thinking, uh, praying like Elijah, those are the main verses we're looking at, Uh, and we're on to say, first of all, that all genuine prayer is to God. Well, of course it is. By definition, all genuine prayer must be to God. But it's, in, it's interesting, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 18 here, you've got hundreds of religious professionals. In fact, you've got 450 prophets of Baal, and you've got 400 um, uh, ditto uh, for Asherah. So it's 850 professional guys, religious people, and uh, they're praying to someone who wasn't God. So you look at verse 26. So they took the bull that was given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal. From Sorry guys, you got it big time wrong here. They called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. Why? Because there was no one there. Absolutely no one there. Baal's an idol. Baal's a god with a small g. Baal is nothing. Absolutely nothing. So, look, when we come to pray, I think it's a really good idea just at the beginning when we come to pray, it's just to pause and to think and remember who it is that we're praying to and to make sure that it's the Lord God, our Creator God, the God of the universe, our great Saviour God who we're speaking to, who we adore and admire. Maybe read a psalm. Maybe read a psalm out loud. Worship Him because we pray at the all-seeing all-knowing God of the universe. And here are four things that we learn uh, about this God of the universe who we pray to. All genuine prayer is to God. And the first thing we see about him is he doesn't do geography. Now, I naturally have to say find that quite disturbing. As a geographer, um, it's the only subject I was ever any good at, but God doesn't do geography. Why do I say that? Because where did 1 Kings 18 happen? It happened at Carmel, okay? Carmel is a centre of Baal worship. It's like an away fixture, if you like. Uh, What happened at Carmel was that Elijah was having a contest with the prophets of Baal. It's like us going off to Mecca and having a contest with, uh, with a bunch of Muslim imams, for instance. Maybe that's not a great example, but you get the idea. It's, in, uh, it's, in, it's an away match, all right? And uh, um, now, God doesn't do geography. Okay, what happened there was happening in Baal territory. And it didn't matter an iota. And it means, for instance, that we can pray anywhere, at any time, for anything for anyone. I means, for instance, our 24-7 is happening in the chapel, uh, and of course we'll be praying in other places as well this week, but we've committed ourselves to pray in the chapel, uh, a place of constant prayer for 168 hours. And as we pray in the chapel, it means we can pray there, but we can pray for anything and anyone. There's a great map of the world there, that comforts me, and, uh, uh, and we can pray for different countries in the world, okay? All genuine prayer is to God, but he doesn't do geography. He's not located in any one particular place other than heaven that we're in touch with and engage with, and he lives in our hearts by his spirit. So all genuine prayer is to God. The second thing he doesn't do is maths. Now, numbers are of no consequence to God. So here, you've got 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, and you've got one Christian. 
And the prophets of Baal seem to operate on the basis that the number of people uh, that they've got praying or the length of time that they're praying, in inverted commas, makes some kind of difference. But actually, no, God doesn't work like that at all. So our 24-7 is not trying to force God to act because I'm turning out of bed at quarter to three in the morning to get over here to pray. And, it doesn't, and, it's not, and it's not operating on the basis that God must take more notice of us because there's a constant stream of prayer going on for 168 hours. No, we're just simply committing ourselves to pray because we want to. Because it's good for us. Because we believe, actually, that in the Bible, people learn to pray by praying. They learn to pray by being taught about it. And this is the 24th sermon on prayer this year. But we also learn to pray by praying and because we want God to bless our community and our world and our friends and our neighbours and our families and our church but prayer isn't bribery we're not bribing God in any way by the length of time or by the uh, uh, anything else that we do in this God doesn't do geography and he doesn't do maths and the third thing he doesn't do is PE now the prophets of Baal look at verse 26 for instance we've seen that Okay, and uh, what they're doing is they're really getting into a frenzy here and they danced around the altar they had made. Then you look at verse 28 and uh, so they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time came for the evening sacrifice and so on. And what a waste of time. I mean, what a waste of time because they're actually doing it for something, someone who didn't exist. But actually, their religious fervour, they were thinking this is going to be of some value. It didn't work because they were addressing a vacuum. But the temptation is for us to think that our kind of religious fervour and our religious commitment is going to achieve something. They're working ourselves up into a, a, a frenzy or maybe a really tired frenzy because we've been up all night or something and trying to persuade God. No. No, no. We pray because we love Jesus, because we're committed to Jesus, because we want to spend time with him. And we want to pray. We want to pray, pray, pray. But let's remember, this is not any kind of bribery that we're doing. We simply love the Lord and we want to spend time praying and be committed to him this week. God doesn't do geography, maths or PE. But he does do, and he delights to do, the impossible. You see, handicaps are no obstacle. If you have a look at verses uh, 32 to 35 here, for instance, um, this is just not going to catch fire, is it? Wet wood doesn't burn. And this is drenched. I mean, it's just about submerged, isn't it? And then it gets linked up, licked up and all the stuff in the trench gets uh, evaporated as well. And Elijah prays, we'll see in a moment. And then look at verse 38 here. Just amazing. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. You see, our God does the impossible. And therefore we want to pray like Elijah prayed, looking at verse say, 36 and 37 there, he prays this, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, I'm just remembering who it is I'm praying to. Uh, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. Why? So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and you are turning their hearts back again. 
Elijah's attitude is he is simply God's servant. And we're praying this week, not making a big thing of it outside the church. I could have told the diocese at the beginning of, uh, of Chichester Diocesan Year of Prayer. So I could have phoned up uh, Lisa, the communications person, and said, we're doing a week of prayer. I've decided not to do that. I've decided not to do that. I mean, if they decide to come and, uh, down and have a photo call or something, then uh, they're very welcome to come. Uh, but we're just servants like Elijah. We're not uh, uh, boasting. We're not making a big song or dance about it. Just going to pray. Just going to pray. And all genuine prayer is to God. He doesn't do geography, maths or PE. A whole load of other stuff he doesn't do as well. But he does do the impossible. And the next thing that we need to see is in verse 37. Because all genuine prayer is evangelistic. All genuine prayer is evangelistic. See, what did Elijah want most of all? He wanted these people to to know that God is God and that God is at work here on Mount Carmel. That's what he wants them to see, isn't it? Look in verse 37 there. And I hope you are as desperate as I am for our friends and family and neighbours and colleagues and community here in Hove to know that God is God and to recognise that actually God is in this place. So when new folks come in, they recognise that something is going on here and that God is here. And I, love, uh, I long for people in Hove to be saying, Bishop Hannington Church, something's happening there. There's a God thing going on there. I want to see, I want to be part of that. Would you make that your prayer too? One of our prayers for this week? Actually, all prayer is ultimately evangelistic, isn't it? In the end. You know, when we confess our sins to God, for instance, ultimately that is evangelistic. Because it means we're getting right with God, which means we're going to be more holy people, which means people, other people will notice. That's evangelistic, isn't it? And actually, all prayer must be for the glory of God. And as people see the glory of God and understand the glory of God, then that is an evangelistic thing as well. 24-7 is not a bunch of people hiding in a chapel for a week. Ultimately, it's evangelistic. And maybe we should uh, uh, do it first week of December every year. I mean, I wonder how Christmas is going to be better this year. And if we did it next year, for instance, how much better would Christmas be next year? And I hope this week we'll be praying, especially for our unbelieving friends. Why not bring a list with you? Use some of your time in the prayer room to make a list of the people you want to pray for, one by one in the chapel. And then have a look again at verse 37. I'll read it this time. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God's, and that you are turning their hearts back Again, write that on your heart. Why not memorize it? Could even become a kind of motto verse for 24-7. We're praying for these people. Lord, I want my mates to recognize that you are God and that God is at work here. And the results, look at verse 39. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God's. So all genuine prayer is to God, it's evangelistic. Third thing to say is this, all genuine prayer is helplessness. Helplessness. 
Someone wrote this, can't remember who it is, but he said, prayer is the most humiliating work because like nothing else, it expresses how helpless we are. I'm sure you've heard of someone who once said that uh, prayer is spelt H-E-L-P. And have you noticed the way Elijah prays? We're just ordinary things. In chapter 17 of 1 Kings, he's praying for someone's life. In chapter 18, he prays for the fire and he prays for rain in a drought. So it just made me think, what do you take for granted? Now, I guess if you're young, it's very easy to take your health and life and maybe your family and friends and food and possibly money in your pocket and holidays to go on and the fact that your parents have a car to take you places to take all those things for granted and also that you can see and walk and run and hear and lift things up and so on but why not make a point of praying and thanking God for all the things that we just normally take for granted and doing it regularly that means for instance why, ouch, that means for instance uh, saying grace because that, uh, that's just making sure that we don't take food for granted. And let's remember, the common is always special. The common is always special, actually. So, for instance, when did you last thank God when you turned on the tap and there was water coming out of it? When did you last thank God that you turned on the tap and there was hot water coming out of the other tap? When did you last thank God that your home was warm? when you hadn't just recovered from the heating breaking down? When did you last thank God with, that you could see, your eyes could see a blue sky, or your ears could hear some beautiful music, or you had the wherewithal to walk up to the chat tree on the downs? It just reminds us of our helplessness, because all these good things come from God. The next thing is this. All genuine prayer is working with God. So here, the reason I asked if Chris could read verse 1, is in verse 1, it says, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. God says, I will send rain on the land. And then look, look on at verse 42. Elijah prays it down. And he's praying for rain, and apps, he gets an absolute downpour. Look at verse 45. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rainstorm came on, and Ahab rode off home to Jezreel. It's a good principle. Turning God's promises into prayer. So whenever you read your Bible, note a promise, not just a specific one to some, uh, someone in the Old Testament, but a promise which applies for us now. And as someone said, the prayers of the saints constitute the appointed channel by which God works his will. He's not limited to this channel, but we might say he highly prefers it. See, God highly prefers working in this world through our prayers. It's like if you're deciding to uh, bake a cake, but you've got some uh, younger members of your family staying, for instance. And uh, you could do it on your own, probably be quicker. But actually, isn't it fun if you've got a four-year-old niece or nephew or younger sister or whatever, baking a cake with them? And so you do. And that's actually rather like the way that God likes to work with us. He could do it on his own. He could do anything on his own, can't he? Of course he can. But actually, he prefers to do it with us. So pray. That's what he prefers to do. So he can work in and through us. 
And did you notice as well, it's working with God, but also we see here with Elijah, all genuine prayer is, number five, from the heart. Now, I said earlier on that working yourself up into a frenzy uh, when you're praying doesn't work because God doesn't respond to emotional blackmail. But, if our prayers are coming from the heart, that is a very, very good thing. So you look at verse 37 here, for instance. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and you're turning their hearts back again. Answer me, answer me. And uh, then you have a look at verse 42. We see a similar kind of thing. In verse 42, Ahab goes off. Elijah climbs to the top of Mount Carmel. Always good to get up a mountain. Bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. It doesn't, well, it doesn't say he's praying, but I don't think he's being sick. He actually is praying there, all right? All the commentators say he's praying. That's what's going on, all right? Now, um, uh, and he's praying from the heart, isn't he? That's just his way of showing it. What's in your heart tonight? What are you concerned about? What are your concerns? What are your joys? What are you embarrassed about? What are you bursting to tell other people about? What's on your heart but actually you don't think you could tell anyone about it? Well, all those things and more are fuel for our prayers. Fuel for when you come and pray in 24-7. It could be beginning your prayer agenda for the day. Things you want to think through with God in prayer. Prayers from the heart. Stuff that we really want. Stuff that we're really feeling. Stuff that we need to express to God. And then the final thing. Uh, and this isn't necessarily directly on prayer, but you may have been wondering, why on earth is Elijah charging off at the end? It's curious, isn't it? Look at verse 45. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, wind rose, heavy rainstorm came on, Ahab rose off to Jezreel. The pa- and then, what about verse 46? This is bizarre, isn't it? The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, for Elijah here, it's prayer and action together. So there's, no, there's none of this kind of, well, you know, I'll do the praying and you can do the action, or I'll do the action and you can do the praying kind of thing. Uh, no. Uh, I think what he's saying is there's prayer and action together. He's been praying, and then he's, well, it's quite a long way, actually. He's kind of heading up to running a marathon there in verse 46. What is it all about, though? What is going on here? Well, just very briefly, I think it's probably a picture, a challenge. And Ahab's a nasty and rather weak piece of work, and his wife's even worse. Uh, Actually, she's much worse. But he's the king. And he's seen his people, look at verse 39, he's he's seen his people turn and say, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And, uh, uh, you know, they're face down crying this. And now, Ahab, what are you going to do with your life? How are you going to organize your kingdom? What kind of a king are you going to be now? And here's the best way. As you're going back home, here's God's man who's brought God's word running in front of you. Ahab, this is your opportunity to sort out your life. You know Elijah speaks the truth. Now continue to follow him 
continue going the way of God's word. Did he? No. Tragically, he had a wife called Jezebel who wrecked his life and wrecked the country and he wasn't never strong enough to stand up to that evil woman. But he has the opportunity. And what is happening here, I believe, is you've got a very brave guy who's uh, been praying and he's now giving Ahab a picture of how to live your life following God's man, following God's word, and putting that into practice. And let's pray this week, and not just this week, that we too would be people who would actually put God's word into practice and take maybe one or two of these things from Elijah to help us to pray this week. Let's pray now. Father, thank you so much for Elijah. Thank you for his example to us and the things that we can learn about what it means to pray and how we just got on with it. And Father, we pray that we may all take one or two things, a couple of things, uh, practically from this evening and leave them, work them out in our lives, we pray. Please help us to do that as we pray this week for Jesus' sake. Amen.